Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series A Father's Farewell, a study of the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son Timothy, and through him to all the sons and daughters of God. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We are going to be uh, completing our series on 2 Timothy here today. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 22, which is a bit of an unusual section. It's at the end of Paul's writing to Timothy. And even though it's actually the final words that we ever have that were penned by the Apostle Paul, they're kind of a grab bag because he's basically telling Timothy, I need you to get here, but there's a bunch of other things you need to know on the way. Uh, But I think the Lord has something to uh, encourage us by in this final passage. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. As always, the text will be on the screen. It's also in your booklet, and you can follow along in your Bible. So hear now the word of the living, sovereign, covenant God. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Well, apart from having to read a lot of unusual names in that passage and a lot of information, you may be wondering kind of what we're going to be thinking about and what we're going to try and talk about today out of this. And as I was thinking about it, uh, an event that happened a couple of weeks ago came to my mind. Uh, Linda and I were out driving in the car, and I suddenly played one of her favorite games, which is, I want you to name this song, and who sang it. Linda loves that game. If y'all are ever wondering, do that with her, and you can be thinking how much she's going to enjoy the next nine days as we're in a car constantly listening to music, and we play this game over and over again with all of my arcane musical knowledge. But in this particular case, I was mentioning the song I said We were listening to the Beatles, and I said, oh, the next song is Eleanor Rigby. Do you know this song? And she said, I don't think so. And I said, it's not possible you don't know this song. Now, 
This song was very popular. It actually won awards, but you may not know what the song is, as I just gave the title, Eleanor Rigby. It's the story of two characters, Eleanor Rigby and a father, Mackenzie. She is a lonely old woman. At the beginning of the song, she's picking up rice after a wedding, but she's all alone. And Father Mackenzie, we see him in his study, and he's preparing to preach a sermon, and he preaches a sermon, and there's nobody there to listen to uh, his sermon. And then at the end of the song, he preaches at her funeral, and no one comes. No one is saved, uh, Paul McCartney wrote, uh, at the funeral. They died alone, and they're in fact unmissed. Now, you may still be wondering what the song is, but you know it is all the lonely people, uh, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And that song is a statement of these people who had gone through life, they're going through the motions, they're there, and they seem to be alone. They come to the end of their life. What? You want to get, yeah, y'all come up and play it? It'd be better than me trying to sing it. Y'all would really be confused and have no idea what song I was talking about. Um, And I thought of that because as Paul is nearing death, it might seem that somebody sat there and wrote a song for him and said, oh, look at this lonely guy. He's there, he's by himself, it appears he's deserted, and it appears that everything he has lived and worked for has come to naught. But what I want to show today is that's absolutely wrong. What Paul is telling us in this passage is, no matter who you are or what you've done, if you are in Christ, you are never alone. Never, ever alone. So we're going to dive in and take a look at it. So notice here, Paul at the end of the letter, we had seen last week that he had said, you know, that he had fought the good fight, he had finished the race, he had kept the faith, and he was awaiting the crown of righteousness, that everyone who loved and longed for the Lord's appearing was going to be given this crown. But now he's calling out to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to hurry and get here to my side. And notice he kind of does this because, again, this section's a little bit ad hoc. He does it three separate times. He kind of points out to Timothy how urgent it is for Timothy to get there. He begins in a very blunt way, by saying, do your best to come to me quickly. Timothy, I need you to get here fast. He points out part of why in verse 13. He says, when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls. And even though I love books, the the note of urgency is actually in the cloak, not in the scrolls. Because notice in verse 21, he's saying, do your best to get here before winter. The cloak is what Paul needs to stay warm in the middle of the winter. And secondly, the problem is the path that Timothy, that we can put together from the notes here, I won't go into all of it, but he's going to have to go across the water and they don't travel in the winter. So Paul's telling him, you got to get this stuff, you got to run around and grab these things, get down to the coast, get on a ship and get here, because if you don't get on the ship before winter, it's going to be all the way to the spring. I'm not going to be here probably, and number two, it's going to be a cold, cold winter. So he's saying, Timothy, I want you to get here quickly, but don't mistake it. The most important thing is not the parchments and the scrolls. The most important thing is not the cloak. The most important thing is Paul wants his spiritual son, and we're going to see some other spiritual sons with him as he is in his final days. Now, the reason for this is Paul is actually in some pretty lonely circumstances. If you were just observing 
at the jail cell, you might think that the song Eleanor Rigby does apply to the Apostle Paul. Now, why do I say this? Notice in verses 9, 10, and 12, it says, Timothy, I want you to get here quickly for... So I'm going to tell you why I need you to get here quickly. And he's going to give a whole bunch of things. We'll come back to verse 10 in just a minute. But he's saying, because uh, this is what's going on. Crescens is down at Galatia. Titus is uh, at Dalmatia. And in verse 12, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So these are probably three companions of Paul that he sent out on ministry. Titus is the guy to whom the letter to Titus was written, also late in Paul's career. So apparently Titus had come to be with Paul for a while, but there was a reason for him to need to go to Dalmatia, which is over in like the modern Yugoslavia type area, over in that, that general region. Um, Crescens has gone to either Galatia or Gaul. There's a little bit of disagreement as to exactly what that means, whether over to what we would call towards Turkey or up towards what we would call France. But in either case, they're gone. Tychicus is going to Ephesus, which means probably he's bringing the letter that Timothy's now reading. That's where Timothy's at. He's heading there to Ephesus, but basically I had to send him away to get you back because we have to get ourselves out of our mindset today. There's no, I got on the phone and I texted Timothy or I FaceTimed with him and told him to get here. The only way to get in touch with Timothy is to take one of your last remaining companions and to send him off. There's a cost involved, but that's what he does. He sends them away. Now notice, all of this has created hardship, and you might ask, why did Paul do it? Why not keep those guys with him? Why not keep Titus with you? Why not keep Crescens uh, with you? Well, the reason is because, obviously, there was some kind of ministry that needed to be done. And Paul's heartbeat from beginning to end is he wants to see the gospel established. And so even though there is great personal hardship for Paul, this is creating difficulty for Paul. He's saying, Timothy, I need you to understand, I sent away a whole bunch of guys who you think are probably here with me, but they're not here with me. There were needs for them to go away, and I sent them away. And then there's a particularly difficult note, which is verse 10 that I had skipped over. Paul says, I need you to come quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas is a character who's been with Paul. He's actually mentioned in a couple of different epistles. If you look in Colossians 4.14, you can read Demas sends his greetings. You can also read in the book of Philemon that uh, Demas is there with Paul. So a couple of times, including uh, Paul was writing with both Colossians and Philemon when he was in jail. So Demas had been with Paul in some tough times. But Paul notes here, notice the difference. He doesn't say these other guys are gone. He says, Demas abandoned me. And in a theme that's going to be picked up throughout this section, I was not even aware until I studied it this week, the, the Greek word for abandon here is the word that is used in Psalm 22, verse 1. Also cried out by Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? We're going to see there are multiple allusions to Psalm 22 here because Paul's feeling that way. Paul's feeling a bit abandoned at this time and moment. And notice there's a strong rebuke here. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, 
or the, the literal Greek is, because he loved this age, he abandoned me. Now, remember at the very end, the, in the previous section, verse 8, Paul said that not only am I going to get the crown of righteousness, but everyone who is loving the Lord's appearing, everyone who's loving the age to come is going to get this. But Demas loved this age. Demas loved this world. I'm trying to encourage you, Timothy. I'm trying to encourage everyone around me to love the world to come. But Demas was more concerned with this age. Now, let me state this does not mean necessarily that Demas was no longer a believer. We, Paul doesn't state that. But what he does state is, in my moment of need, when I needed him most, Demas abandoned me. He left me. And probably because he loved this age as a reference to the fact, you got to understand if Paul is already received word, either by revelation from God or knowing how the trial has gone, if he knows he's going to be put to death, is it a good idea to hang around Paul? That you, he's not a guy you want to be associated with at this point. And it appears Demas read the handwriting on the wall and took off to Thessalonica, probably to do ministry or something. But he had abandoned Paul. But I want you to notice, Paul doesn't wish any evil on him. He doesn't pronounce a curse on him. He doesn't do anything. He just says, Demas abandoned me. He left me sitting here, and that's why I need you to get here. And notice, we had read, and you may have noticed some of the, you know, the I need the cloak, and I need the parchments, and I need these things. But Paul's also looking for some companionship and help. And 2 Timothy 4.11 is a really interesting verse. Paul says, only Luke is with me. Now, that means of all Paul's closest associates, there, there may be a couple of people, but the, but the people that are really his team, only Luke is left. And yes, this is the Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Luke who wrote the book of Acts. If you read in the book of Acts and you pay attention carefully, you'll see it a bunch of times. It's we went here and we did this and we did that, where he was clearly a longtime companion with uh, Paul. In fact, there, it may be that Luke helped write the letter to Timothy. Now, the reason I say that is Paul uses some different vocabulary in the Greek than he normally uses in his letter. And if you remember, I've referred to this many times. When he wants to talk about good teaching versus bad teaching, you remember good teaching was sound or healthy, and bad teaching spreads like and what did Luke do for a living? He's a doctor. And these are not normal words for Paul. So it may be that Luke was helping write it because he's a doctor. And there's more medical terminology in the pastoral epistles than, uh, than in others. So don't, you know, don't stake your salvation on that. Just saying it, it might be that Luke helped him write. But the key point is he's been with Paul for many years and he's there at the end. He's the guy who had recorded Paul's labor so mightily in the book of Acts. But notice Paul also says, and I love this, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And yes, this is Mark of the gospel of Mark. But does anybody remember what happened early on in Paul and Mark's relationship with one another? Mark abandoned Paul in the middle of a journey. 
Because he noticed, if you go back and you read Acts, again, we read through this stuff quickly, what was it like to hang around Paul? Let's be honest. Everywhere he goes, what happens? Riots break out. People get arrested. People get stoned. So let's, before you're too hard on Mark, just ask yourself, you may be saying, this isn't quite what I signed up for. I didn't see the fine print in the contract here that I was going to be in constant danger just by hanging out with you. So Mark left. And you remember, Paul said, that's it. We're done. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, what did he want to do? He wanted to take Mark with him. But Paul said no, and that was actually the end of Paul and Barnabas's relationship. Now, what's interesting, I will admit Paul's more of a hero to me than Barnabas. But who was right? Barnabas was. Because notice, as you go through, and these are just small things, Mark has been with Paul since then. It's not like this is the first time Paul's thought about Mark. Mark is mentioned in Colossians 4.10, where Demas was mentioned, and also in Philemon 1.24, where Demas was mentioned. He had been with Paul in his first imprisonment. He had been there with Paul. And now Paul is calling him back because notice, and I think it's in part that the mention of Demas, or Demas came up because he was going to mention Mark, because Mark, Demas, and Luke are all mentioned in those two passages, in Colossians and in Philemon. They had both been with Paul when he was in prison before. And he's saying, look, I've got Luke with me. Demas abandon me and left, but I want you to get Mark, and I love that he says, because he is helpful to me. At one moment, I split with my closest friend. At one moment, I split with the only guy who had believed in me. When the apostles were afraid that I was a you know, foisting something over on them that I hadn't really been converted. Barnabas was the one guy that believed in me. I even split with him because I was so upset about Mark. But I need you to bring Mark here in my closing days because he is helpful to me. I need Mark. Friends, that is good news for us. And I want to encourage you, if you've got or had a relationship that has been strained or is difficult, do not give up. God is, in the God, is, is a God who's in the business of restoration, of redemption, of reconciliation. And I love that here, at the end of his life, Paul is not, I don't want to have anything to do with that, Mark. I need you to bring Mark to me. He is helpful. He is good to me. And it's encouraging to me, by the way, to think that in Paul's last days, he has the writer of the Gospel of Mark and the writer of the Gospel of Luke standing at his side, telling him again, this is, this is the stories. Because remember, Paul wasn't there. Peter can reflect and remember what Jesus Paul wasn't there when Jesus walked on the earth. But Mark and Luke are there to tell him, remember the Lord said this, remember the Lord said that. It is God's grace and mercy to Paul. So he's nearing the end of his life. He's been abandoned by many, but he's still not going to be left all alone because he's going to end up with Timothy, Mark, and Luke around him, three of his closest companions. Now the interesting thing is, Paul then tells us he's still going on trial, and the trial is going to end the way he had said it was going to. And he brings up, first off, this character, uh, Alexander the Metalworker, to again kind of go back to the Eleanor Rigby theme a little bit. 
He's got to bring up the, the treachery that had happened to him. And he tells Timothy that Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Now, this may well be the same Alexander that's mentioned in 1 Timothy that Paul had handed over to Satan because he was a blasphemer and he was opposing the work of God. We don't know if it's that same one. Some people also note and say, hey, there was a metalsmith in Acts that caused the riot in Ephesus because Paul was undercutting his business. As the gospel prospered, they were losing idol-making business. We don't know which one it is for certain, but we know this, that where it says he did a great deal of harm, the, the word did that the NIV translates there, it's hard to put it into English, but basically the idea is he showed or he, he explained something about me. It's, prob it's probable that he either was the guy that turned Paul in and got him arrested, or he was a guy that showed up at the first trial, because the trials we're going to see in a minute is a two-part trial. Either way, Alexander is behind Paul's current circumstances. He had caused real trouble for Paul. But again, I want to point out, notice Paul himself doesn't, he doesn't tell Timothy, get some guys, go get Alexander, you know what to do. You know, I'm here in Italy, let's get the mafia, right? There's not, what, what does he say? Alexander did this, he opposed the message, the Lord will deal with that. God will deal with it, not me. Just another sideline, and whatever relationships we have, we, we don't need to go out and take revenge ourselves. The Apostle Paul tells us, do not take revenge, my friends. Rather, leave room for God's wrath. Uh, do your best to live at peace with everyone. Uh, I am grateful that I can honestly say, uh, I have literally had people, I mean, curse me out, say the most awful stuff as they were going away. People call my house and say all kinds of kooky, crazy stuff, and if they call me tomorrow, I'll sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. I'm not going to argue with them. Why? Why? You know, I don't agree with what you did, but, and I won't entrust myself to you, which is exactly what he's telling Timothy, don't be fooled by this guy, but I'm, I'm not going to bear grudges. It does not do any good whatsoever. There are far too many grudges that are being held, even by believers. And, and I might just point out, how much sin have you and I been forgiven? No one will ever do to you what you do to the Lord Jesus on your best day. Let's just be honest. So, you know, there's parables about this, right? We forgive. We pass on. And that's exactly what we need to do. So, he does tell Timothy, I want you to be on your guard. And then he points out that, again, just to kind of get the, the feeling of what it would be like for Paul, he says in verse 16 that, at my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against him. Now, he says first offense here because the Romans in general had a two-part trial system. If you remember in the book of Acts, he stood trial before Festus and and King Agrippa and all that, and then he was remanded over to Caesar. It appears Paul went to Rome, was released, got to go do more missionary work. There's a lot of stuff in church history that talks about this. And then he got arrested again. But it's again kind of a two-part system, a little bit like what we've got a grand jury and then the regular trial. And so Paul's already gone through the first part. But apparently the writing was on the wall, either because Alexander was standing up and saying stuff, 
Or, you know, it could be that this is after the fire in Rome and Nero was already out for Christians. And, but at any rate, the writing's on the wall and Paul says, no one was there for me. Nobody stood up to testify in my defense. And uh, now you may ask the obvious question, well, what about Luke? But we don't know when Luke got there. When Paul had his first defense, there may have been nobody. They may have all come after. But apparently, it looked like he was standing by himself. And again, he uses that same word, everyone deserted me. We're kind of getting to Psalm 22 in a minute. We're going we're gonna to start to see him come a little bit rapid fire here in a moment. And so, but notice what is, what is wonderful in Paul's thing. So you, you got Paul, and he's sitting there, and he, he's pretty lonely in the cell, and he's thinking about the believers that did not come to his defense. They deserted him. And what is his prayer for them? May it not be held against them. Look, I, I get it. I, I know it was hard. I wish they had been there. It would have been helpful if they had been there. But my prayer is may it not be held against them. Have we heard that before in the Scripture? Okay, you remember? Again, Psalm 22 Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, the first martyr, what's his prayer as Paul is standing there giving approval to his death? What's Stephen's prayer? Lord, don't hold this to their account. Okay? So Paul is now saying the same thing here regarding these folks. It's difficult. It appears he's alone. It appears, you could say, all the lonely people, including this guy. And, and it's all come to naught. But Paul tells us that's not so. He was never alone. And he's in fact being delivered by the Lord. Notice in the very next verse, verse 17. So everyone else abandoned me. I pray it's not held to their account. But the Lord stood at my side. And he gave me strength. And so notice, everyone else deserted me. It appeared that I was all alone. But you know who was there? Jesus was standing there at my side side. And I was aware, even when I was standing in front of Nero, that the very one that Nero was going to stand in front of was standing at my side. He was taking my defense. I was never alone. And so notice, I might have expected to be strengthened by my brothers and sisters who were around me and were encouraging me. Saying, they didn't come, but the Lord strengthened me. Even if others abandoned me, the Lord stood by me and he helped me. And then amazingly enough, notice what Paul's concern is here. This is what's so beautiful. He's, he knows he's going to die. He's abandoned at the trial. He's standing there and the Lord is there. And what did the Lord strengthen him to do? Not to defend and testify of himself, but so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. This is one of the reasons I love Paul. This is a one-note guy. What's your defense? The gospel. Why are you here? The gospel. What is your hope in this trial? The gospel. That's what I'm going to speak. And so Paul says the great thing at this trial when it appeared that everything was lost and I was left on my own was that I actually got to preach the gospel. They wanted to convict me of whatever 
crimes they were alleging about him, all I wanted to do was to take the time to preach the gospel. And this had always been Paul's hope because it had been revealed to him from very early on he was going to do exactly this thing. Paul was told, you're going to proclaim the gospel in Rome, and you're going to do it before Gentile rulers. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, when Paul was arrested the first time, we're told, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. So notice again, Jesus is standing there by Paul, and he says, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul, you were preaching in Jerusalem, now you're going to get to preach to Rome. You were preaching before the high priest, now you're going to get to preach before the emperor. And notice in Acts 27, 24, Paul, this is when they're in the shipwreck, and it appears that all is going to be lost and that Paul's just going to die lonely out at sea. But the Lord comes and tells him, he said that the Lord came to me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So notice here, Paul's on trial for his life. If the trial doesn't go well, it's over. He's beheaded. And who shows up to speak in his defense? No one. But when he stands up, what's his greatest concern? I got a captive audience. They're here, and I'm going to get to tell them about Jesus. But Paul, what about trying to get yourself off? That's not my chief concern. I knew from the Lord I was going to get to come here, and I'm going to get to stand in front of Caesar himself. And whether he wants to or not, he's going to hear about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whether he wants to or not, he's going to hear about the one who is truly the ruler of all. That's what he is going to hear about, and he's going to hear it from my lips. Now, we don't have time today, but this is, where, this is actually another allusion to Psalm 22, because Psalm 22, which begins with the famous, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? I cry out by day, and you don't hear, and at night, and you're not listening to me. At the end, the psalmist is crying out and saying, oh God, you are to be praised because the God, the the word of you is going forth. Nations are hearing about you. You have turned everything around. You've not only delivered me, but you've done it in such a way that others are coming to know who you are. It's an amazing thing if you just read Psalm 22. It starts with abandonment, but it ends with a proclamation of who God is, not just in like a synagogue, but out to the nations. And what is Paul saying here? I was abandoned. Demas abandoned me. Everybody else abandoned me. I was standing there alone, and you know what? I still got to preach the gospel to the nations because I was not alone. I felt alone, but I was not alone. The Lord was standing with me. And so Paul's suffering and his two imprisonments had actually served to further the cause of the gospel, allowing him to spread the gospel to many, including rulers, and, by the way, to write most of the New Testament you read. So we've listened to so much in this book about suffering. Was, had God fallen off the throne because Paul was suffering? Or was God actually accomplishing his purposes even in that suffering? I want to encourage you, no, no matter what you and I face, God is at work. 
He is sovereign. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. And if we will but listen, we can be part of the gospel going forth. The Apostle Paul had actually said in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, Paul had kind of given his his life uh, verse. He said, so my life doesn't matter anything to me as long as I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So as Paul's standing there in front of Caesar's court, and nobody's with him, but he knows the Lord is standing with him, what Paul is saying is, I see the finish line. I have accomplished the task I have been given. Jesus had a race for me. That race was for me to end up in front of Caesar here in Rome, and I was to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm crossing the finish line. I'm doing exactly what I was told to do. So very far from being, oh, the lonely people, poor Paul. Paul is able to say, I was never alone. The Lord stood with me. The Lord allowed me to not only, they thought I was on trial, I proclaimed they were on trial. They thought they were sitting here judging me. I'm letting them know all they can do is release me into glory and my reward. And they are going to stand in front of the one who is going to reward me. And so notice, Paul actually says then that he is rescued and saved into the heavenly kingdom. This is another allusion to Psalm 22 uh, and actually the Lord's Prayer. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Oh, and actually I should say, let let me bring back... If we can go back to the previous screen for just a second. Yeah, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. This is also Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, the psalmist writes and says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And Paul says, now this this isn't probably a literal lion. And sometimes people get all wrapped around the axle. Did he mean mean Nero? Did he mean this? Paul's, he's alluding to Psalm 22. I felt abandoned. I went through this. But I want you to know the Lord stood by me and he delivered me. So at the first trial, I was not condemned. I wasn't drug off and put to death right then. I was delivered. And it was during that time that, again, he kept writing. He's writing part of what we have as Scripture after he's been delivered. But then he goes on and he says in verse 18 that the Lord is going to rescue him from every evil attack. This is an allusion to the Lord's Prayer. It's a little phrase out of the Lord's Prayer where we pray every day, Lord, deliver us from evil or from the evil one okay don't lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and Paul says here the Lord is going to rescue me from every evil attack and he's going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom and so notice here again kind of like the psalmist in Psalm 22 it seemed like I was abandoned I I felt like I was missing my companions. I wanted them around, but I'm confident of this. The Lord is going to deliver me. And that does not mean that I'm not going to die. Paul's already told us, I'm going to die. I already know the outcome of this trial. But what they think is punishing me is actually delivering me. He's turning their very capital punishment into my deliverance. When they put the sword to to get graphic, and chop my head off before it hits the ground, I'm in the presence of the Lord. That's all they can do 
to me because I am never alone. And again, this is Psalm 22 where, where lament has turned to praise. You're going to see this over and over in the Psalms this summer. And the goal for Paul is, look, even if, if my seeming abandonment allowed me to proclaim the gospel, God's name be praised. What is important is that the gospel must go forth. What is important is that I finish the race. I complete the task. I do what God has called me to do. The church needs a heavy dose of this, particularly in America. We are, we are far too down in the mouth about everything. Be encouraged, church. The gospel is going forth. It has never been spread to more countries. It has never been growing more fast than it is right now. So, so don't believe whatever you read in the paper tomorrow, because it doesn't matter. What, what, what if what's going on around us right now is serving to further the gospel in some other land? Can we say with Paul, God's name be praised? Can we do that? Because that needs to be what rings in our heart, is that what matters is the kingdom. And so Paul is not saying, I'm not going to get convicted. He knows he is. What he is saying is that Jesus is going to deliver him even through death itself. To quote the Apostle Paul in another passage, nothing will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing, not even death. To God be praise. Now, how do we apply this? This is simple for us, and we're going to I want to focus on one thing as we're kind of clue this, because I know there's a lot of stuff in this passage. But what I felt like the Lord was saying that we need to, to realize and focus on is, do I know that I am never alone? Okay, for each one of us, that feeling of being alone, that feeling of being abandoned um, can be for different reasons at different times. So I want you to reflect and think about that. Because, see, you and I might not be on death row for Jesus yet, but we've all felt abandoned. If you were honest, every one of you has looked at Psalm 22 and said, I could pray that, man. I feel forsaken. And I mean, I even feel forsaken like, God, where are you? Okay? Now, we, we like to get religious. When, I remember when I taught through the Psalms years ago, I had a mature believer come to me because I had encouraged people, pray the Psalms, pray the Psalms. And I had a mature believer in our congregation come to me and say, are you sure it's okay for me to pray some of this stuff? I mean, this is like raw. Like, God, you've forsaken me. Well, billions of prayers. God really liked that 150. Really liked those prayers. They're in the Scripture. So, if you are honest... You felt abandoned. And so have I. And, and I, you know, I've got theology degrees and all that kind of stuff. I can reason my way around it. And then I get home and I close the door and how do I feel? Abandoned. That's what we try to deal with. There are times that friends, even brothers and sisters in Christ, in our moment of need, they're gone. If you have not experienced that, you just got saved during the meeting. You have not been in the church for any length of time. If you've been around the church, you're going to get abandoned by brothers and sisters. They are going to fall short. It is bound to happen to every one of us. There's times where we're going to feel like sometimes 
I felt abandoned, and then I later discovered I really wasn't abandoned. It was me causing a problem, okay? But nonetheless, in the moment, I felt alone and forsaken. And so we need to walk with each other through those times. That's part of the ministry of presence. That's part of what we're called to do in the local church is to be there, okay? In other words, Timothy shouldn't write back and say, hey, Paul, it's too arduous a journey, but the Lord will be with you. Okay, that, that's not a Christian response. We're called to walk with one another. But what I really want us to focus on this morning is the fact, if you were locked up in a jail cell and nobody was allowed around you, nobody wanted to come around you, and let me remind you, there are brothers and sisters in the world today in exactly that spot right now. Sad to say, but we have brothers and sisters in places like Iran, and Saudi Arabia, and China. That is their reality. But I want you to know they are never alone because Jesus never abandons or forsakes us. This is the good news. Because on the cross, when Jesus Christ took up the words of Psalm 22 and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't feel forsaken. He was forsaken. And he was forsaken for you and for me. He took your sin and he took my sin and the only presence of the Father at that moment was righteous, hot, all-consuming wrath. And because he did that, you will never be forsaken. And nor will I. You and I can pray Psalm 22. We can feel that way. But we need to know deep in our gut, though I feel forsaken, I am not. We need to be able to take up and pray with the psalm. Though father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. I will never, ever be alone. No time, no place. That is the reality for you and for me. And let me say, as you're thinking through this this morning, sometimes the darkest hour is when God is working the most. And it's that very hour that's going to produce the most fruit. It's so difficult at times. Okay, so I'm trying to get us to dig a little bit. You know how much I love theology, but I'm trying to dig through. I'm trying to get down to where you live and where I live. That place, that time, that aspect. For some of us, look, there's that door that we know. Behind there is my loneliness, my forsakenness. I feel like in this area, God has abandoned me. I want us to think about what that is. And I want you to understand you're not abandoned. The Father sees. The Father knows. And if you were sitting in a jail cell by yourself, going to die utterly alone from a human perspective, you are not alone. The Lord Jesus is there with you. Have you ever seen, there, there's actually a painting, and Randy Alcorn wrote a book on it, it's called Safely Home. It's a, uh, the, actually the, the title of it, I think, was something else. It was about a martyr, it was an Asian martyr. And as he's just been martyred, Jesus has got his arms around him. Because, see, that's the reality. 
any martyr that dies today, and we have brothers and sisters who are going to die today for their faith, they're not alone. At that moment, Christ is with them. That is his promise to us. So what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to do a little differently at the table this morning. Um, I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 23, a very famous psalm, but I want us to hear the Lord's Word. Remember, this is the next psalm after Psalm 22. Hear the Lord's Word regarding that place where you feel abandoned. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to point out verse 6. Surely goodness and love. The word love, for those who have been around here a while, is the word chesed. Covenant love. Covenant faithfulness. Covenant mercy. The kind that will not let go. Goodness and love. And the word follow is only translated follow in one or two places. It's usually translated pursue. Like when Saul pursued David to put him to death. But here, what does God do, O sheep, when you wander? He pursues. He doesn't follow. He chases you down with his unending, never-stopping, covenant, faithful love. When you feel abandoned in the valley of the shadow of death, you are not. He is with you. When you feel that you have put yourself outside of his care, he pursues you. Because that's his nature. It's who he is. So the Lord has spread a table for us. And I invite you to the table this morning. And as we do so, we're going to do it much more simply than normal. I want you simply to think of that place. And I want you to receive the Lord's presence. He is with you. Brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. 
He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Go ahead and get the bread ready. And what we're going to do is we're going to meditate for just a moment. And then I will speak that it's the body of Christ given for you. And I want us to respond. We did this a few weeks ago with thanks. Uh, thanks be to God. Okay? Just to thank. But again, as you're doing so, I want us to focus on the fact his body is broken because he is with us. And the cup has secured this. Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken and given for you. Thanks be to God. And is not the cup for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together, and we're going to do something a little different as well at this part. The worship team uh, came to me and said that they had a response song, perhaps. And so they're going to go onto the stage. I'm going to close, and um, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to sing this song. It's called Never Once, because it fits very well with what we're talking about. Never once have I ever walked along. We will sing this song, and then we'll have a closing prayer and benediction. So I encourage you, let the Lord minister to you by His Spirit of His gracious presence with you and me.
thank you that even when we have strayed or feel far from you, your steadfast, faithful, covenant love and mercy pursues us even into the deepest, darkest valley. Lord Jesus, we thank you that because you were truly forsaken, we will never be, for you have rescued us even from death itself. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being the empowering, personal presence of God always with us. Our triune God, meet us deeply and personally this week. Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would know and experience your presence in our daily lives so that even when we are in the valley, even when the enemy says we are alone, that we will know you are there. Lord, we thank you for saving us, for walking with us. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we dwell in your house, beholding your face and eating with you forever and ever. Lord, we ask all of this in the great name of our Lord Jesus, our Emmanuel, 
God with us. Amen. And I'm going to conclude with a benediction out of 2 Timothy. Seemed like a good place, right? That's why I went to seminary all those years. May the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.